0: chapter 22 verses 1 to 22. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamma and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said. Leave Jerusalem immediately, because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your master Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voice and shouted, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live.
1: Thank you, Alison, very much. And thank you for inviting me to to join you today. Um, For the last three years uh, or so, my occasional talks uh, at at our own church have been drawn from the Book of Acts. We're getting towards the end now uh, with Chapter 2. That's probably a great relief to um, everyone else who listens to them. But I've really enjoyed going through Acts. It's a really lively, eventful account of the early, uh, the start of the the church, how it all began, beginning with Jesus's resurrection, then explaining how the good news about Jesus spread through the ancient world. And a lot of it is about the person who's delivering that talk that uh, we've just heard, read St. Paul, whose drive and determination really powerful intellect, extraordinary energy and resilience laid the foundations for the church that over 2,000 years or like getting on for 2,000 years later we can all belong to. Um, let me just run through how it was that Paul was in Jerusalem giving this address in the first place and by the way we do know comparing details in these chapters with other records that this, is ha- this happened in about 57 AD, so 27 years after the resurrection, 24 years perhaps after the events on the road to Damascus which Paul recounts. Um, Paul had been commissioned to take the gospel to the Gentiles, first of all with Barnabas and then with others. By the time we're reading about, he's been doing this for over 20 years. And in those 20 plus years, Paul had zigzagged the ancient world. Typically, he arrived at a new place, went to the synagogue, started talking about Jesus. Sometimes he'd be able to carry on. Sometimes he'd be kicked out and have to go elsewhere. At times, it got fairly violent. Uh, occasionally he stayed in one place for some time uh, at the, the start of um, uh, or in uh, the start of his work in, in Acts chapter 11 uh, we read that Paul and Barnabas spent a year in Antioch where they met with the church and taught great numbers of people but from Antioch he, he went off uh, including into mainland Europe and in lots of places he left behind a little embryonic church, a community of people who'd come to believe in Jesus and in traveling to Jerusalem, and we read about this in the chapters leading up to chapter 22, um, he retraced his steps and he visited quite a lot of those little churches that had been planted over the previous 20 or so years. Uh, Acts chapter 20 records an emotional farewell he gave to the leaders of the church in Ephesus, just to read a little bit of that from verses 22 to 25 of Acts chapter 20. Um, And now, compelled by the Spirit, Paul said, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you, among whom I've gone about preaching the kingdom, will ever see me again. So you know Paul had these deep forebodings about this visit to Jerusalem, about what was going to happen to him, but he's also absolutely clear that he has to go and at the end of, of that chapter, chapter 20, verses 36 to 38, it, uh, it, it says, and uh, I think this is Luke telling us what happened. He said, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. And then the next chapter, 21, recounts the journey to Jerusalem. There were various stops on the way, and sometimes people urged him not to go to Jerusalem because of the danger ahead. He spent a week in Tyre, and uh, we read of the Christians there. This is verse 4 of chapter 21. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem but Paul was clear. He, he must go on. And uh, uh, verse 13 and 14 of chapter 21, it says, Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he wouldn't be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. So he got to Jerusalem, there was a warm welcome for Paul from James, the brother of Jesus, and from the other leaders of the church, and Paul gave a a full report of what he'd been doing. They praised God for what had been accomplished through him, but they also knew he was in danger. So uh, chapter 21, verse 21, uh, they, they explained to Paul, they've been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. And then sure enough, uh, Paul visited the temple. He was spotted and an agitation started against him. He was dragged off by an angry mob. He had to be rescued by the uh, the Roman commander. But Paul was still determined to get his message across. So he asked the commander if he could speak to the the crowd. The commander said, OK. And Paul spoke Uh, as as Kira read to us uh, in Aramaic, the local language, and really grabbed their attention. And as we heard from the reading, Paul retold his story, and he's told this story a number of times through uh, the book of Acts. He explains he was born in Tarsus, but grew up in Jerusalem at the feet of Gamaliel, who was a highly revered teacher who actually gets an earlier mention in Acts, in, in Acts chapter 5, where Gamaliel made a helpful intervention on behalf of uh, uh, the early Christians. But, um, but Paul made it clear that perhaps unlike Gamaliel, he was really a hardliner. So uh, as he says, verses 3 to 4, I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. But it all changed on the road to Damascus. Paul had a personal encounter with Jesus. He came to believe that Jesus was, after all, the son of the living God. He was stopped in his tracks. His life turned dramatically around. And, of course, the good news about Jesus could have just as dramatic an impact on someone coming to believe today. But I think, you know, up to this point, up till the end of verse 21, the crowd wasn't really angry. They would have been sceptical, no doubt, thinking, yes, Paul had had some kind of delusion, which he interpreted as a vision from God, but he hadn't really said anything to enrage them. Everything about Paul, though, his origin, his deeply orthodox upbringing, his education, his training, and his zeal, all of that... What it had done was to drive him straight into the path of the longed-for Messiah. And to his astonishment, he discovered it was Jesus. Jesus was the Messiah, after all, as he had claimed. And now Jesus had led Paul to face an angry crowd of people who were exactly like he used to be. But the bit when Paul really enraged the crowd in verse 22 was when he quotes... The instruction God gave him, uh, it's verse 21: "Go, I'll send you far away to the Gentiles." Uh, Tom Wright, the former Bishop of Durham, says in his commentary on this chapter that the anger with Paul is a bit like the anger of a football team supporters when their manager is left and taken over at another club, and then comes back when the new club uh, comes to play the old one. And if just read what his his commentary says. Um, He says the fireworks come, of course, when the manager turns up with his new team to play against the team he used to manage. The fans go wild. Judas is the mildest thing they're likely to call him. They'll come back to him again and again during the game, mocking him, pointing at him, jeering at him if his new team aren't doing as well as they might. Sometimes it's done in fun, but sometimes you can feel the genuine hatred and venom for someone the fans feel has let them down badly. And that, you know that's how this crowd feels about Paul. He is one of theirs. He speaks their language. He's steeped in their culture, traditions. He was blessed with their finest education, showered with every privilege that their community could provide. And yet he'd given it all up to serve Jesus of Nazareth. And worse than that, He'd obeyed the instruction that he recalls in verse 21 to go far away to the Gentiles, away from his own people. And I think it must have felt to them as if he was threatening their whole culture and identity. And that's what really made them so angry. Now, why did Paul make this speech? uh, uh, we've seen plenty of his friends warned him not to, worried what would happen to him. And the warnings that were given came with the authority of of God's Spirit. Paul himself had deep misgivings about the journey. He made that clear in that farewell address to the Ephesian church leaders. He knew what he was getting into. Why, given all those warnings from those who wanted the best for him, did he go ahead? I, I, I think what we can say is the Holy Spirit warned him, but the Holy Spirit also compelled him to go ahead. And the reason, I think, was Paul's absolute determination that his own people, the people of whom he was proud to be one, should be able to share in the good news of Jesus as well. His letters that we've got in the New Testament show his longing that his own people should realize that Jesus has fulfilled their hopes and their dreams. that the promises made to his people, Paul's people, over two millennia have been delivered in the person of Jesus. So they were accusing Paul of rubbishing their hopes and their traditions. But Paul says, no, I'm pointing out how all those promises have, in fact, been kept. Paul's letter to the Romans seems to have been written a little bit before this incident in Acts 22. And in Romans chapter 10, the first four verses, Paul wrote this, Brothers and sisters, My heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they didn't know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they didn't submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Jesus was the fulfillment of promises to the people amongst whom Paul was proud to number himself over hundreds of of years. And Paul longed for them to realize that. Instead, they accused him of betrayal. In the the following chapter of the letter to the Romans, this is in uh, Romans 11, verses 13 and 14, he wrote, I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I hope that I may somehow arise my own people to envy and save some of them." That was the hope I think that drove him on, that compelled him to travel to Jerusalem even though he knew the dangers perfectly well. The crowd reacted with anger. Maybe there were though some who heard what he said and believed it, we, we just don't know. But what we can say for sure is that through the Holy Spirit, Paul was compelled to go on and to deliver the good news. It meant great peril for him, but it also meant that the good news flourished and spread and went in time, as Jesus had instructed that it should, to the ends of the earth. Because of what Paul did, good news went everywhere and eventually it reached the forefathers of all of us so that in due course each of us had the chance to hear it and to believe. That was the consequence of all of Paul's restless traveling and of all the hardships he endured. So as as Claire said, the, the title I've put on on this is Zealous for God, a little phrase which is in verse 3 of the passage where Paul acknowledged that the people he's speaking to were zealous for God, uh, but that their zeal led them to reject the good news about Jesus. He pointed out that he was just as zealous one time in that cause as any of them. Uh, And the phrase also uh, crops up uh, in the passage um, from Romans chapter 10. He speaks of his own people, they're zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. They don't realize, he was saying, that the cause they were so zealous about had in fact been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And because we've all heard the good news about Jesus, and if we've accepted it, we've all benefited from the zeal that Paul had at enormous personal cost to take the good news to everybody. And I I guess the kind of message from all of this is that we should share in that zeal so that others in our communities, others around us, others in Parliament can benefit from the good news in just the same way that all of us can.